listening to First Church Charlotte. Well, well, praise the Lord somebody. Oh, come on, we can do better than that. Praise the Lord somebody. Amen. I just want to say 2021 is going really good so far. Anyway, my goodness, I love you too, babe. Uh, I'll give you some money when we get home. <laughs> I don't know what to say. Uh, so anyway, to all of all of you joining us online, we're honored to have you spend some of your day uh, with us. Wherever you're at, say amen. Your house needs to hear your amens. Uh, type amen, like it, whatever you want to do. Uh, we want to embrace as much as possible uh, our extended family, and uh, we love you. We miss you. Won't be too long. We're close to the end of the t- end of the tunnel, hopefully, and uh, things will get better. All of you here today, we're honored to have all of you in the house of the Lord. I was excited. The 9 a.m. service was the biggest 9 a.m. service we've had uh, since. Um, Actually, the number would have been a good pre-COVID number. It, it was a solid number. And so thankful for that. All of you here today, uh, we are excited to begin this year. I'm going to start a series today. I, I think all across America, pastors are starting New Year uh, series. And usually uh, those series are some version of uh, renewing ourselves, refocusing ourselves, uh, reminding ourselves of spiritual foundations. And all of these things are very good. And and, and healthy things. Uh, I, myself, I don't know that I'm a big believer in New Year's resolutions, but I am a big believer of taking every chance you get to reset yourself, uh, to refound yourself, to reestablish yourself, to make sure that the direction you are going in is the direction that is spiritually profitable to you. And so I am going to begin this year uh, in this this manner, and we are going to talk for a little bit how our way of doing things is often in opposition to God's way of doing things. Uh, we have a manner of life we go through, and we'll talk about it here as we get into it, but I want to have all of us see now, oftentimes, our way of doing things is, is not the best way. There's a better way of doing things. And I'd like all of us to admit together in this, this, this time we have together over the next few weeks, perhaps, um, that uh, if we could fix it by the efforts of the flesh, it would have long since been fixed. Uh, Whatever it is you're facing, whatever it is you're going through, if you had the solution, uh, you would have already been done with the problem. And yet here, many of us are coping, struggling, wrestling. So let me let me say it in this manner: Uh, having having tried it our way, let's ask ourselves honestly how well our way has worked out for us. And if it hasn't worked out very well for us, I'd like to invite all of us to try it God's way for a while. Does that sound fair? I'd like us to try it God's way. So my my series is, how is that working out for you? 
How is that working out for you? Let's get started. If you're going to help me a little bit, say amen. amen. Everybody put a big smile on your face, stretch out your face, big smile. You know you need it, and trust me, the people in your life need it more than you do. So uh, we want to walk in God's will for our lives. We, as believers, want to understand and know the path of spiritual progress that has been divinely ordered and ordained for our lives. And we, as individual believers and as a body of church folk, a body of believers, we want to progress not simply in self-help. Do you understand what I'm saying? We're not looking to make simple progress on our, shall we say, efforts to work out more in the new year. Probably would be good for us. Uh, That's not really what my focus is. It would probably be good for us to eat healthier food in the new year. That's fine. Uh, I I think we should all do that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Uh, this challenge that is in all of our lives to be truly spiritual people, to live as the fathers of faith did and admit that we are pilgrims and strangers in this world. Let me say it another way. This world is not our home. Can I have a better amen than that? This world is not our home. Somebody say it as a personal declaration. This world is not my home. The spiritual reality is, is that we are, we are just passing through. But this can be a, this can be a struggle in terms of a, a manner of living because all of us are daily tempted to kind of fall into habits of action and habits of thought. And usually those habits are not God's way of doing things. Let me say that again. Usually the habits and the sequences of thought that we fall into are not God's way of doing things. They are rather our way of of doing things. Let me uh, try to make some practical uh, connection here on this subject. All of us have tens of thousands of thoughts every day, and we don't even really register those thoughts. Most of us can go through a majority of our day without having to think exactly, precisely, or intentionally about what we are doing. Now, if you are creating something new, it's different. You have to be intentional when you're creating something new. When you're problem solving with a specific set of circumstances or uh, in your workplace, equipment, job, project, whatever the case may be, then you have to be intentional. But most of our day is not spent in that manner. Most of our day is spent in the stuff that is kind of bearing us along a river of being. And I'll give you an example. We, all of us woke up this morning. We got out of bed. We didn't think about getting out of bed unless you were arguing with yourself and you really wanted to stay in bed, in which case you had to um, argue pretty profoundly. And you did good because here you are, except for those of you online, in which case, go forth, thou art healed. Um, (laughs) 
we weren't intentional about getting up. We just got up. You, you didn't think about making coffee. You were on autopilot. You went in there, and what did you do? You made your coffee. You didn't have to decide how many creams, how many sugars, if that's way, the way you like your coffee. You were on autopilot. Uh, in all of your rituals, the, the vast majority of them require no thought whatsoever. Uh, one a good example of this uh, that psychologists use, I actually read a psychologist use this example of the difference between uh, unintentional thinking and intentional thinking. And uh, she pointed out how when we groom ourselves in the morning, we're on autopilot. None of it is really intentional. Um, if you put, if you get your toothbrush and your toothpaste out. I mean, we all brushed our teeth this morning, or if we didn't, God forgive you, the altar's right down here. Uh, You didn't think about it. You probably held your toothbrush in your right hand and your toothpaste in your left hand, and you uh, took your toothpaste, put it on your toothbrush, and set it down, and if you wanted to save your marriage, you put your lid back on your toothpaste, and and then using your right hand, you begin to brush your teeth. You're not thinking about brush your teeth. You just know you need to brush your teeth, and uh, you brush your teeth with your right hand, your thoughts are many miles away. It is unintentional. Again, this is a psychologist helping uh, a patient understand the difference in intentional and unintentional thinking. The psychologist said the only way you could switch this process that is just a technical detail of our personal grooming, if you wanted to switch it from unintentional to intentional uh, and make yourself think about it, to move it from the back of your attention to the front of your attention, to move it from the back of your brain to the front of your brain is take the hand you normally brush your teeth with and put the toothbrush in the other hand and brush your teeth with your non-dominant hand. You will find you cannot have your mind in other places, brushing your teeth with your non-dominant hand. You will punch yourself in the face. You will drive the toothbrush into your gums. Uh, You have to, your mind switches from unintentional to intentional. Uh, As I read that, I thought uh, on a deeper level about how so many of our habits so many of our sequences of thought exist in the non-intentional spaces of our life. We're not choosing them. We are simply uh, experiencing them. We are not intentional. It is just a process of habitual thought, habitual action, and we are thinking without thinking about it. Let me say it again. We are thinking without thinking about it. Let me say this as a way of trying to, as it were, use this as a teaching moment that we can wrap our, our understanding around. The thoughts that you think without thinking, that's who you really are. The thoughts you intentionally think are who you are trying to become. Uh, I know, but drop the pen, right? Heavy, heavy moment. The thoughts that happen in your mind without intentional effort, they just flow through the river of your being. That's who you actually are. However, if you want to change who you are, you have to change your thoughts from accidental things to intentional things. Stay with me on this. 
We, if we're not careful, can think just like unbelievers while claiming that we are a believer. If we're not careful, we can respond to trouble just like unbelievers while claiming to be a believer. If we're not careful, we can deal with pain and loss and setback and struggle just like unbelievers, all the while claiming and believing ourselves to be a believer. The truth is, all of us have a carnal solution to most of the things in our life. It isn't really a solution, however. We use a different, even better word for it that is more accurate to what it is. It's not a solution. We call it coping. And so many of us have settled for coping with things when God has invited us to live in faith, to stand upon promise, to claim a mountain for the kingdom of God. And we're unable to stand in faith. We're unable to speak promise because we're too busy coping with circumstances. We're claiming to be people of faith, but we are thinking just like unbelievers think. And we're responding to trouble just like unbelievers respond to trouble. And we're dealing with pain just like unbelievers are dealing with pain. Let me say this, and I want you to catch this if you can. The reforming process of our thoughts is actually a fundamental part of spiritual regeneration. Let me say it again. The reforming of our thoughts is a necessary, foundational, fundamental part to becoming true believers, to becoming spiritually new, to having an old us made into a new creation in Christ Jesus. I'm going to show you that in the scripture here today. Before I get into the actual verses, though, I want to invite you to have, if you will, one more, one more mind experiment to understand what I'm talking about. Take any circumstance that an individual would go through. Let's, let's not necessarily make it a, 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 a struggle of the spirit. Let's just, let's just make it kind of an ordinary life type of event. Let's say that you uh, have a good job and you lose your your good job. Now, uh, this happens to almost everybody. Sometime in their life, they they lose a job. Uh, I lost a job once, and uh, it was quite painful for me. Um, uh, the rest of the time, never never lost uh, any other job because I always worked for myself, and uh, I didn't get fired from employers. I got fired from clients, but if you have your own business, you know how painful it is to lose a client, particularly a big client. Can I have an amen? (laughs) Um, Everybody says, I want to be the boss because then um, I won't have to answer to anybody. Let me tell you a little secret about being the boss. Uh, You answer to everybody. (laughs) Every client you have is your boss. At least if you're an employee, you just have one boss yelling at you instead of everybody. Where are you at? When are you going to get here? Why isn't my job done? Let me move along before I get discouraged. 
We all understand the reality of potentially losing a job, uh, having a good job, having a career change. This is quite traumatic, let's, let's be honest. If it puts you in financial distress, it can be very traumatic. In fact, um, about 20% of people who lose uh, a job will deal with clinical depression, not a few down days, not a few bad days, but real treatable, diagnosable uh, clinical depression. About 20%, that's quite a lot. Now, losing your job doesn't score as high in terms of measured stress as something like a divorce or uh, even going through a, a severe illness. Those things are worse. We all get that. We understand that. But let's not rush past how difficult it can be uh, to lose your job. Uh, if you've gone through this, you understand how these things go and you get called in and uh, this and that and that and this and the result is after everybody's done done talking and HR's done covering their legal side and uh, everybody comes. The point is, is you don't have a job. Uh, go home and uh, think about things. So you go home. Now, this is not of itself a determination that everything is going to be bad. Um, there are good lessons you can learn from circumstances like this. You might go home and say to yourself, how did this happen? Now, that's a perfectly reasonable thing to ask yourself after you've lost a, uh, a job or lost a big client or something of the like. Um, it's a good thing to take stock. It's a good thing to, to ask yourself what you can learn and how you can grow. Uh, the next thing you might ask yourself is, did I contribute to it? Um, was there actions I made that, that made this happen or increased the likelihood of it? And that so far seems to be a fairly healthy thing. Um, I do know that people who, and this again is just not a faith thing, this is actually in real sociological data, uh, people who take responsibility for everything in their life, not just the stuff they know they control, tend to do better because whether or not you're in control of circumstances, uh, there's still lessons you can learn from it. And so there can be a lot of good positive things that come from something like, you know, losing your job or having a career change or uh, losing a big client, but uh, let, me, let me remind you how the serpent deceived Eve in the garden. The serpent does not change what God said. He simply manipulates it a tiny bit, so the meaning is now questioned. This is important to understand because we should not be ignorant of Satan's devices. So Eve uh, is in the garden and the serpent comes, and what has God said concerning this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God has said of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shall not partake. It is not for you. It is reserved unto the Lord. Now, when the serpent shows up, he doesn't say anything different. He just adds one word to God's statement that calls the whole thing into question. He doesn't so much change the word of God as he changes the individual's relationship to it. And so here the serpent says, uh, he just adds one word and it goes like this, not 
God has said, thou shalt not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He changes it to, hast God said, thou shalt not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, this is exactly what happens in any of our life circumstances. Let's say you lost your job. Uh, you go home, you think about things. How did this happen? Pretty much a healthy thing to ask yourself. Was it my fault? Pretty, pretty, pretty much a uh, healthy thing to ask yourself. Was there anything I could learn from it? Yes, pretty much a healthy thing to ask yourself. These are all reasonable questions. These are all even healthy questions. But uh, usually we do not end with healthy questions. Uh, Usually we push into the pain and we explore the fear and it goes like this, not how did this happen, remember the serpent, but How did this happen to me? We haven't changed much, have we? But we change the relationship of it to ourselves. Watch this. This might help somebody. We haven't changed it in a large way. We've just changed it in relationship to ourselves. So the issue, I hope you get this. I think this will help you. The issue is not, is there something to learn the issue is now what is my worth and what is my identity no longer is there anything i can learn but now it is a question of self-worth and a question of individuality why did this happen to me as though other people don't have to go through this, just me. Therefore, I'm not who God says I am. I'm who my career says I am. Do you see what just happened? It wasn't a change of circumstance. It was a change of relationship to that circumstance. It should have been things happen, but God's on my side. He knows every hair that's on my head. There's not, my goodness, I might preach here a little bit today. There's not a sparrow that falls from a nest where God does not see the fall of that sparrow. Not who am I in God, but now my identity is found in work. My identity is found in career. My value is who my, what my boss says it is. My value is what my bank account says it is. And instead of making it through like a believer, we're left to wallow in the pain like an unbeliever. And we come into the house of the Lord, not as people of faith, but looking for therapy instead of victory. I've come to tell somebody here today, God can heal you, but it won't happen in the manner of the flesh. It will not happen by the effort of the flesh. It will not be a work of the flesh. God wants you to know who you are in his word. God wants you to know who you are in his promise. You may have lost your job, but it's not the end. God's on your side. He's going to give you a better job. You might be sicker than you would like to be here today, but this isn't about you and how bad things always comes to you. No, that's the thinking of the fearful, anxious, unbelieving heart. You're a person of faith. You, not accidentally, but intentionally say, I might be sick, but God knows everything going on in this body. I might be hurting, but God knows every tear I cry. I might be struggling, but I'm not struggling as an unbeliever. I am who God says I am. 
So the toxic fear sets in, and what should have been lessons learned is now a question of self-worth. What should have been oh, uh, uh, kind of a bounce back and a quick move to uh, what comes next, what's the smart move, what's the right path, what's the good decision now is a coping mechanism for anxiety and depression. And now, because we are not living in spiritual identity, we are not thinking intentional thoughts of God's provision and intentional thoughts of God's promise. We are thinking reactive thoughts of fleshly coping. The result is we have to go through the stages, not of spiritual healing, but the stages of fleshly coping, shock and denial, anger and fear, bargaining and despair, depression and resignation, and finally having squeezed all of the lemon juice out of our sour circumstance. We accept it and we start going on just like every unbeliever who has ever gone through a loss, just like every unbeliever who has ever faced pain, just like every person who's ever had to grit their teeth and get up in the morning and go look for another job. That is not a testimony of faith. That is a coping of the flesh. Now, I'm not trying to say you're bad. I'm trying to say, look at your way of doing it and ask yourself how that has worked out for you. I want you to know there's a better way, and that's God's way. And that is nothing in this world can tell you who you are. God tells you who you are. Nothing in this world can terrify you beyond the promises of God because you are not afraid of the things down here. Your fear is in the reverence you have for God. You've tried your way of thinking about things. You've tried your way of coping about things. My question is, how's that working out for you? If you're satisfied, well, I hope you enjoy your day. I don't have much to help you because I'm a preacher of faith and I'm a preacher of God's way. And if your way is good enough, I don't think I can really help you in any way. I mean, I hope, I hope you have a good day and God bless you and, 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 and have a great year. But if you have tried your way and you said, there's a better way than this, there's got to be a better way than gritting my teeth and coping instead of reacting in my thoughts, perhaps I could start being intentional, standing upon the promises of God, claiming the promises of God, letting his presence wrap around my soul. Somebody say yes. Thank you very much. I needed to take a breath, so I thought I'd get you shouting for a while instead of me doing all the shouting. You've tried your way of thinking about things. Maybe you should try God's way of thinking about things. I want to give you nine biblical foundations, nine biblical truths. Uh, I have notes for you today. If you want to download these off the website, you can uh, keep them for your own uh, study and your own uh, thoughts. Um, But I want to give you nine biblical truths. Uh, I am going to read a lot of scripture, and I am going to use a lot of different translations. Why do I use different translations? Uh, This is something that I have... I've really learned to do as I've become a more mature Bible student. Uh, And the reason being this, um, 
There is no perfect translation. They are all the products of scholars who are reading. They are fluent in the original language, and they're trying to communicate that in the language of the reader. And so you can use uh, translations to understand the text, yes, uh, and that is valuable, and I do that, and many of you do also. Um, However, there's something I think somewhat more important than that in the terms of teaching and learning, and that is this, make the text live for you, not as ritualistic words that you repeat, but as understanding. Did you hear what I said? Our scripture is not some type of abracadabra incantation. It is not simply meant to give us some type of traditional soothing. It's meant to live for us. And looking at translations and different scholars trying to make the words live in your vernacular, in your language, in your generation, in your process of thought is very valuable. And so as I reference these translations, I'll just mention the abbreviated uh, letters by which they are known uh, so you will know uh, that I'm doing that. And uh, I, I personally have found it very valuable. So nine biblical truths. I want you to see a few things that are going to establish all the things I said earlier, all the thing, points I tried to make earlier. Uh, the first truth is this, just like, uh, just like David went to the brook and picked five smooth stones and put in his, uh, his little pouch. Uh, I want you to take these nine truths as smooth stones and I want you to carry them with you. Number one, my thoughts control my life, yes, but I can control my thoughts. My thoughts control my life, yes, but I can control my thoughts. I'm reading Proverbs chapter number four, verse number 23 in CV. Be Be careful what you think about because your thoughts run your life. Be careful what you think about because your thoughts run your life. What's the truth? My thoughts control my life, yes, but I can control my thoughts. Read the same passage in the TEV version. Be careful what you think about because your life is shaped by your thoughts. Lesson number two, truth number two. Any change I want to make in my life must start in my mind. Any change I want to make must start in my mind. I've done something in the last year that I uh, sometimes am, am, am embarrassed to share, but it has been so truly helpful to me that I feel come a certain compulsion to share it. Whatever you are trying to change in your life, however simple it is, I don't care how ordinary it is, if you're trying to eat better, you're trying to exercise better, you're trying to be sweeter to your spouse, you're trying to be more patient in your job, whatever it is, spiritualize it by making confession and asking God for help. This is what I have found. If I put it in my prayer, I put it in my thoughts. But if I don't put it in my prayer, it slips out of my thoughts. And I don't remember it until the last 30 minutes before I fall asleep while I'm finding reasons not to like myself. But if I will put it in my prayer, I find that it's easy to put in my 
thought. So let me repeat lesson number two. Any change you want to make in your life must start in your mind. Romans chapter number 12, verse number two, TEV. Do not conform yourself to the standards of this world, but let God transform you inwardly by a complete change of your mind. What is God doing? He is transforming you inwardly. How is he doing it? By working in your mind. He is transforming your mind. Any change must begin in your mind. Let me read Matthew chapter number five, verse number eight. This is the message translation. You are blessed when you get your inside world, that is your mind and your heart, put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. Lesson number three, this is very much true. I can change how I feel by changing how I think. This isn't my opinion. I'm going to give you some scripture. I can change how I feel by changing how I think. If there was one thing that I think every uh, church leader in the history of the world has ever uh, gotten tired of hearing uh, is this statement about how something's wrong with the church because somebody is struggling to feel uh, something. Uh, And then that same church leader, if they're not careful, will say the exact same thing, him or her self the very next day. We are such creatures of feeling and we think if there's something wrong with our feeling, then there's something wrong with God or something wrong with us. Hear me, it's biblical. I can change how I feel by changing how I think. Psalms 42, verse number six, TEV. David says, my heart is breaking, so I turn my thoughts to God. What do you do when you're falling apart? What do you do when it feels like the end has come? You turn your thoughts toward God. You can change how you feel by changing how you think. David is going to have a restoration of joy, a restoration of confidence, but it's always going to follow his turning his thoughts to God. Jonah Chapter number two, verse number seven, New Living Translation. When I'd lost all hope, I turned my thoughts once more to the Lord. You see, it goes like this. It's not feeling and then thinking and then action. That is the way of the flesh. That is how the carnal mind thinks. It's not thinking, feeling, uh, or excuse me, feeling, thinking, and then action. It is the opposite. It is thinking first, then feeling following, and then action following that. Lesson number four about doing things God way. God's way is this. Every behavior in our life, if you dig deep enough, is founded upon a belief. Haggai chapter number one, verse number five, this is NJB. Think carefully about your behavior. Think carefully about your behavior. Let me ask you a question here today. Whatever it is that you do, 
uh, it is built upon a belief. Uh, but uh, is that how it always feels? Uh, a lot of times I would say that's not how it always feels. A lot of times the belief is a little bit deeper uh, than where we are living and what we feel is, is a desire or a lust of the flesh. And so we transgress, we sin, uh, we cheat, we lie, we commit acts of anger and immorality, uh, we make these mistakes, and uh, it all springs from what we feel is this lust within us. But here's the thing. Uh, what's deeper than the lust? The belief that the object of your lust will make you happy or whole. Do you see? It's not just lust. It's built upon a belief that possession of that lust will fix you. And it's utterly, completely illogical because did it fix you the last time you did it? Absolutely not. Did it fix you the last time you let your temper go and said those things you said? No. Did it make things better? No. Did it fix you last time you gave up your faith and chose a path of sin? No. Did it make things better? No. Did it make things harder? Yes. Boy, it's quiet. I must be doing some fine preaching. Take your time, brother. Take your time. Well, thank you. I will. I want you to see how our brain tricks us. Our behaviors are based on belief. Therefore, the prophet says, think carefully about your behavior. My question for whatever it is you're dealing with is what are you believing right now? What do you believe about the things that are causing you to lose your spiritual progress? Proverbs 14 and 15, ICB. A foolish person will believe anything, but a wise person thinks about what he does. Let me move along. Truth number five. This is foundationally, biblically true. Anytime I sin, at that moment, I am believing a lie. When I sin, I am at that moment guilty of believing a lie. Proverbs 14 and 12. There are many ways that we think are right, but they lead to death. James 1, chapter number 14, or excuse me, verse number 14 and 15, a New Living Translation. Temptation comes from the lure of our inner desires. These evil desires lead to evil actions, and the actions lead to death. I want you to hear me today. Number six, there is an unseen war going on in and for your mind. This is what it means to be in spiritual warfare. What do you think spiritual warfare is made up of? It's not some Hollywood-esque possession flick with some spooky, fantastical, special effects demon. No. The real spiritual world is both different and uh, in any real way profoundly more uh, difficult and terrifying than that. If you could simply explain it by special effects, that would be the end of it. But the real spiritual battle is going on in the minds and the hearts of the people that Jesus died for. The enemy that would like to destroy you is going to attack you in your mind. You are going to resist the lies of the enemy in 
in your mind. You're going to claim the promises of God? Where? In your mind. Your mouth is going to speak what your mind chooses to embrace. And spiritual warfare is not by the flow of your thoughts, not by the coping of your flesh, but by the intentional choosing of your mind where you say, not that. I'm not going down that road. I'm not going to let depression rule my life. I'm not going to let despair keep me captive. But today, I choose the promises of God. And I choose to say to my soul, old soul, he hasn't brought you this far to leave you. He didn't teach you to swim to let you drown. Oh, come on, First Church. I want you to know the victory is going to happen right here. It's not an accident that Jesus was uh, crucified at Golgotha, the place of the skull, because all of us fight the life of faith in our minds, the place of the skull. And uh, to win, uh, we have to acknowledge the unseen spiritual battle going on in and for our minds. Let me read Romans 7, uh, verses 21 to 23. This is the Bible, it seems to be a fact of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I want to do God's will so far as my new nature is concerned, but there's something else deep within me that is at war with my mind and wins the fight and makes me a slave to sin, to the sin inside me. Did anybody hear what I just read? This is not my thoughts, my philosophies, my musings. This is the Apostle Paul writing, talking about a war going on in his mind and this nature of sin fights in his mind and makes him a slave to the sin inside him. He says, in my mind, I want to be God's servant, but instead I find myself still enslaved to sin. The battle is in your mind. You cannot allow your thoughts to carry you. You have to carry your thoughts. You cannot allow, I'm telling you, how has your way worked out for you? It has led to fear and despair and wrestling. It's led to some of us having served God by our own estimation for long periods of time and still dealing with anxiety, still dealing with depression. Dearly beloved, these things ought not to be. As the gospel writer said, there's a better way. Our thoughts aren't going to carry us. We're going to carry our thoughts because there's a spiritual battle in our mind. And every time I recognize the enemy, I'm going to rebuke the enemy in Jesus' name. Where? In my mind. And then I'm going to buy the act of faith and by the promise of the word of God. I'm going, to, I'm going to choose the right thoughts and I'm going to stand upon them because there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, the apostle writes. Number seven, to win the battle in and for my mind, I must have God's word and God's spirit inside me. I am not strong enough in the wisdom of the flesh to win the battle for my mind. I must allow the Holy Spirit to war when I don't even know what to say. The point of the spiritual speaking of a sacred language 
that is intercessory in nature is that God knows how to speak a spiritual freedom in you by his spirit that is directly relative to the battle of your mind. 2 Corinthians 10, verse number three through five, uh, while we live in the world, we don't fight the same way the world does. We fight with God's weapons, not worldly weapons. Our weapons have God's power to demolish the enemy's strong places. We can knock down all the worldly arguments. Somebody say yes. We can knock down all the worldly arguments, all the prideful defenses that set themselves up where? In our minds against the knowledge of God. In this way, he says, we capture every rebel thought. Is anybody getting the drift here today? We capture every rebel thought in our mind and we make it give up and obey Christ. We make our minds submit to the truth of Christ. Let me read Romans chapter number eight, verse number six. This is a New Living Translation. If your sinful nature controls your mind, there is death. But if the Holy Spirit controls your mind, there is life and peace. If there's one thing I know about the human condition, we need life and it more abundantly. And we need spiritual peace that passes all understanding. Uh, Can I have a big first church? Amen. Jesus says, John chapter number eight, verse 31, 32, if you learn and obey my word, you will be my disciple, then you will know the truth. How do you know the truth? You know it in the place of your mind. You know the truth in your thoughts. You don't know it in your body. You know it in your your thoughts. Then the truth sets you free. Number eight, my goal is is to learn to think like Jesus. That's not so hard. Jesus walked among us and he demonstrated to the disciples a life of faith. He demonstrated the ability to manifest the purpose of heaven here on earth. That happened, how? By Jesus communicating in the manner he did to the people that caused them to rethink their life. Jesus did not preach in the rhetorical style that the apostles would and modern day preachers. Jesus talked in the style of one inviting you to consider. He does not lecture in the style of someone who is telling you truth. He speaks in the style of one who is inviting you to pursue the truth. And the result of that is, if you're going to take him seriously, you have to consider the kind of life he is inviting you to because he's going to say things like this. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and lose his soul or what will you what will you trade in uh, response for your soul what will you sell your soul for this is the manner of Christ's teaching in us and then having demonstrated to us a life built upon higher things he shows us that should result in spiritual authority 
You see, we cannot think that all our progress in God is understanding when some of it is activation. We do not simply know, we activate the promise of God. You need to know it so you can speak it and it can change your world. You need to be the one who can know that God heals. So when you go to a friend's house and they're sick, you can speak the promise of God and that healing to them. And you can be the one who says, I want to pray for you because I believe God is a healer. We have to have both knowledge and action. We have to have theory and we have to have a praxis. We have to know and we have to do. That's your $5 ecclesiastical word for the day. Practice. Praxis simply means you put it into action. If you'd like to write that down, someone too, can, you can deceive them into thinking that you're quite intelligent. What kind of, go to work and say, what kind of praxis are we going to demonstrate here today? Uh, yeah, after they look at you, they'll roll their eyes. That's what they've been doing for, to me for years. My goal is to think like Jesus, to get it and then to show it, to get it and to show it, to have it and then to manifest it. First Peter 4, chapter number 4, verse number 1. Since Jesus went through everything you're going through, this is the message translation, since Jesus went through everything you're going through, learn to think like him. Now that's just so simple. Anybody can understand what Peter's trying to say. Since Jesus went through everything you're going through, learn to think like him. Philippians 2, verse number five. Your thoughts and attitudes must be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Or 1 Corinthians 2, verse number 16. I know I'm giving you a gauntlet of scripture today. That's fun to do. We have the what of Christ, the mind of Christ. Oh, I think there might be some depths here. Not going to take the time right now. What are we given of Christ? Somebody say it with me. The mind of Christ. If you have victory, it's going to happen right here. You've tried thinking your way. Why don't you try thinking God's way? Your way hasn't worked out so good for you. You've learned how to cope, but not how to overcome. You've learned how to deal, but you haven't learned how to fly and soar. There's a better way. You've tried it your way. How's it working out for you? If you think there might be a better way to deal with the junk that you're facing today on this first Sunday of 2021, who would have thunk it? On this first Sunday, what might be a good day for you to say, Lord, I am no longer going to let my thoughts carry me. I'm going to carry my thoughts, and I'm going to start right now choosing to see every problem in my life through your eyes. I'm going to see every difficulty in my life through your promise. I'm not going to let my mountains talk to me. I'm going to talk to them. Almost done. Musicians, you can come. We must have this common goal to think like Jesus. Lastly, number nine, that leads us to a inevitable biblical realization. If we're going to rethink our lives, rethink how we are walking, rethink how we are dealing with problems in our life, rethink our coping mechanisms, if we're going to have to do that, uh, we're going to look in the scripture and see if there's examples of it. And what you're going to see is the most common biblical response to uh, God's invitation is also known as changing your mind. (laughs) 
this is is so good, I can't make this stuff up. (laughs) The biblical word is metanonia, metanonia, which is what we get our English word from, to repent. What? How about that? If you read the Bible, Old Testament or New, there's one thing you're going to come to, and that is repentance. You can't find it anywhere where it's hidden away. It's everywhere. Repentance matters. I said repentance matters. It is the manner in which we acknowledge we've tried it our way. It's not working out for us. Now we're going to try it God's way. Metanonia, literally to change your mind. Let me read a formal definition for all of my school nerds here today, change in one's way of life resulting from penitence or spiritual conversion used in a sentence. What he demanded of people was metanonia, repentance, a complete change of mind, a complete change of heart, or let me say it this way, amplified Bible, Acts chapter number three, verse number 19, repent. In other words, change your mind and turn your mind back to God so all your sins may be erased, blotted out, wiped clean, and so that the times of refreshing, somebody say, I could use some times of refreshing, times of refreshing, times of recovering, yes, and times of revival. There's some folks here today who need revival. Don't act too good for good old-fashioned preaching like that. There's some people here today who could use some revival. You could use some refreshing. You've gotten cold in your mind. Don't blame the preacher. He has his own problem praying through. You stick to your need to pray through. If you've gotten carnal, it's happened right here. You've allowed your thoughts to run you instead of you running your thoughts. You've allowed your thoughts to use you instead of you using your thoughts. How else are you going to express the faith that God has called you to if it don't first happen in your thoughts? If it'll happen in your thoughts, it'll be on your lips. If it'll be on your lips, it'll start changing your actions. And your actions will start influencing your world. You've tried it your way. It's time to try it God's way. Now, let me end with this. Jesus speaks through the apostle John, writing to the early church. This is given to us word for word in Revelation chapter number two. And Jesus speaks verses two and really two through five. Uh, to the church of Laodicea. And he says this, I know your good deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. But I've known this. I've noticed this. You don't love me as much as you used to at the first. Hmm. Reminds me of that old country western song. You don't love me like you used to. I've noticed this. You don't love me as much as you used to at the first. What a a disturbing thing to have the one who died for us say. What a disturbing thing to have the one who gave everything for us to say. You don't love me like you used to at the first. Then Jesus says, so remember, (coughs) excuse me, so remember what it was like before you fell away and repent metanonia change the way you think 
Change the way you think. Arrest your thoughts. Rebuke your thoughts. Control your thoughts. Turn away from this and say, I'm going that way. I'm not living as though I'm spiritually spoiled. I'm living as though I'm spiritually promised, and that's not the same thing. I'm not living as though I'm spiritually entitled. I'm spirit living as though I'm spiritually destined. That's not the same thing. I'm not living as though it's all about me. I'm living as though God has called, ordained, and challenged me for a great work. What am I asking you to do? Change the way you think. Remember what it was like before you fell away. And metanonia, repent. Change your mind. Change your attitude. And return to the things you did with me at the first. You've tried it your way. You've tried thinking your thoughts. Now I'd like to invite you to try God's way. Your way's not going to work out for you near as good as God's way. God actually knows how to heal a broken heart. You know how to cope with a broken heart. Man, I wish I could preach. I'd do a better job. God knows how to put your fragmented spiritual potential back to get dead or again. All you know how to do is cope with fragmented spiritual potential. God knows how to change your ugly spirit. You know how to manage your ugly spirit. You've tried it your way. I'd like to you to start 2021 by switching it up. Let's try God's way in Jesus' name. Would you stand with me all across the house? Oh, Lord Jesus. We stand before you today. We humbly request spiritual regeneration within our lives. I'm praying for the person here today who has battled something through the whole of this past year and they're exhausted. They're spiritually exhausted. I'm praying for them. Some of them are here today and some of them are watching online right now. Lord Jesus, they don't even recognize who they've become anymore because they've gotten so good at coping And they're failing to see that they are just like a person who is living as an unbeliever. They have, like a a prodigal son, all the benefits of the father's house, but they're living in a spiritual pig pen. Oh, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord Jesus. I'm praying right now that you would wake us up to the futility of doing things our way. And we as a church right now are repenting of our way of doing things. I'm repenting of my way of trying to pastor. I'm repenting of my way of trying to reach a city. I'm repenting of my way of trying to cope with pain and and, and hurt. I'm repenting of that right now. And I'm looking heavenward. And Lord Jesus, I'm saying uh, my way doesn't work. I'm confessing. I'm confessing to the heavens. My way doesn't work. I am choosing your way in Jesus' name by the power of your spirit, by the authority of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. I'd like to invite all of you wherever you are 
all across the sanctuary. Those of you who would, I'd like you to step out of the chair you're in and come stand down here at the front. There's a lot of room for us to to take care about our distances. If you want to stay where you are, that's fine. Those of you in your kitchen, at your table, in your living room, however you're watching this, I want you to know the Spirit of the Lord is not limited to this sanctuary, but He's near to you. And you need to respond to this. It matters. I feel the heaviness of souls that are at crucibles of decision. I feel it. Maybe it's something I feel in my life, but I I think it's more than that. I I think it might be uh, for some of you who are listening right now. Let the presence of God check you. Let humility allow forgiveness and repentance to begin to work in your life. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Our worship team is going to begin to lead us into the presence of the Lord. Our guests, our friends, at any time, if you need to go, you can be dismissed. You can feel free to slip out. Uh, We like to linger for a little while here. We often find that God does some of his greatest work. Some of our best testimonies come in the times where we linger together and pray one for another and speak the name of Jesus. But if you need to go, God bless you. We totally understand. Have a great week. Remember, first step next week. But as our our worship team leads us into the presence of the Lord, I would like those of you who will to let your heart be drawn by his spirit in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.